I want to show you something in John 5, just to, just to make a point out of it, John 5. And it was, I don't know, maybe February, it was a long time back that I was reading here in, in John 5 again. And uh, usually I would always start with verse 25. Verse 25 is a good verse. We'll talk about it. Verse, verse uh, I'll tell you what, what's really, what really caps this off, and it's verse 29. And verse 29 is, is, is really something. Verse 29. Uh, uh, verse 28 and 29, excuse me. And so, so mis misunderstood, so misunderstood as to its meaning right here, as to what it's used for right here. And we're going to have to look at that. Uh, but... Verse 24, you know, I would, I would say for some reason, but I know the reason the Lord was really capturing my attention here in verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. Now, now you've, you've, read, you've, you've read in the Gospels, Jesus has told the Jews again and again and again that they don't hear him that they do not hear him. Uh, and he's not talking about with the natural ear. They, they hear him in the, in the natural, and then they throw rocks at him and try to kill him or whatever, or just totally don't believe him and just go away. And he tells them they don't, they don't hear him. And then in another place, because my word is not in you. So what I'm just pointing out very briefly here in verse 24 it's not like uh, he that heareth my word. See, it's not like you're hearing what I'm saying right now. This, this is something else. He that heareth my word. Not my words, not my teaching. He that heareth my word and believeth on him, which is his father, that sent me hath, everlasting life. And that's where I first began to look at that, and that's where I first got into my computer, crawled it up, typed the word life in there, punched a button that says to bring that up every place in the Bible, and then you've got page after page after page. And it was in doing that that I realized that there's that the word life right there is translated uh, with three different Greek words in the New Testament. And I'm not going to go back through that with you, but that got me to really looking at this. But here is the one, then, but then it, I went on with that. Hath everlasting life, and shall not come to condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Is passed from death unto life. In just a little bit, I want us to look at Hebrew, 
but ye are come to Mount Zion. Because those, those go together. Those go together. It's, it's not about anything that you're going to do. It's about if you have received me. If, and it's what he's saying here. If you have received my word into your heart. If you have received me, then you have received my Father. And so what it is here, what he's teaching, and he goes on to talk about, if, if Christ be in you. If you be in Him, you are passed from death unto life. Not one day you will, you are passed from death unto life. Now, I just, you know, when you're searching, you just get these drawings. I mean, you, you know, you're, the Lord leads you to do something. I'll just say it the way it is. And so I looked at the word passed. And it, you know, just, okay. And the word past, is like a, like a verb, but it's a different kind of verb usage. And what it is emphasizing, what it's emphasizing is not that you have passed from death, which is what it says, but the emphasis with that and then the word from and what it actually is, is meaning. And, and it, you know, there's a lot of words like Latin and Spanish and Greek and others that are, they're called living, living language because they, they all project a particular thought. I mean, they, so many times English uh, is just, it's kind of like reading a legal document. You know, it really doesn't draw a picture. It really doesn't come up with a, an action to it. Uh, but these languages do. And the word passed here. So I went back to the Old Testament and looked there uh, concerning uh, passing. Uh, and it's the same as, it's the same as like going through baptism in the Red Sea. I'm telling you the truth, it is. And pass over this Jordan, pass over this Jordan, which means right now at this place at this time. Why? Because it was another feast of Israel. They wouldn't do it the last time. Forty years, they all died, brought them right back to the same river at the same feast, which was Passover. And I just started getting thrilled. I thought, my Lord, why don't we just look at it every now and then and, you know, and, and stay there? And, and because it means, it means that our pass from death to life actually means that we're not just, we're not just out of death. See, that was God's problem with Israel. They were out of Egypt, but 
in their heart and mind, they were never in Canaan. They were just out here. And really then what the effect of that was, they wanted to go back. You know that. They got out there and got mad at Moses, mad at God, and they, they said, what if we just let us go back? Because in their heart, they had never left anything because God's purpose, darling, was not that they leave something, but that they come unto Him. And He calls that, I have brought thee out on eagles' wings. And they had no understanding of that, just like, honey, just like most Christians today, so and my Lord Jesus, I love Christians and I love the church. Come on, there's no doubt about that. But but most have no real concept to, of, of of salvation that's something other than just not sinning anymore. But it's much more than just not sinning anymore. It's a life, it's a life, it's a life that we could never ever have except that Christ himself live in us. We have passed from death unto life. So now again, I'm trying, I'm trying to put into words what that thought, what that actually means. And I've, I've, I've used the, the help of, I've, I'm using the example of Israel coming out, coming through the Red Sea, baptized into the Red Sea, uh, and then uh, uh, Exodus 15, that's where they have come across the Red Sea just come across the Red Sea, and now they're singing the song of Moses in Exodus 15 and in verse 17, which every Bible scholar that I know anything about agrees is the absolute summation of the 15th chapter of Moses and of, and, and, and of, uh, and of the whole thing of, of their coming out uh, is that 17th verse which says, And thou shalt bring them in. Because, honey, God never saw them as being out until He saw them as being in. And that's how He could let them die. It was as though they were still in Egypt. It, it, was, as so, it was as though, I mean, they were still in Egypt. They had never left Egypt yet. They still were trying to go back. And not only did they tell God, not only did they tell Moses and by that tell the Lord that we're not going over here, the Bible actually says they came as they came with the mind of one. They came, man, I mean, the first time they ever agreed on anything. And they came with one mind as one man and said, we will not cross that river. And they might as well have said, and, and when was it? It was during Passover. When did they come out of Egypt? When, by, by the death of the Lamb, by the blood upon the door. When did God bring them out? Passover. What are they absolutely then over here denying? 
and will not be partakers of it. Passover. They're not going to pass from death unto life. They're not going to do it. And so the Lord said, as sure as I live, you will die in this wilderness. And I will raise up out of your children and I will bring them in. Now, isn't that something? And all of that is right here where Jesus says, because what this emphasizes is not the act of living, but the act of entering in. From death unto life. The whole deal of our salvation is not getting out of death. Honey, it's living in Christ. That's what it's about. Otherwise, we just spend all of our time looking backwards and, you know, and saying, well, I, I don't do that anymore and I don't go there. And all of that is fine, darling. But my word, it may be time to do what Paul said that he did regularly in Philippians, the third chapter, when he said, this one thing I do, I have not yet fully grasped as I have been grasped by the Lord, but this one thing I do, forgetting that's which is behind. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Where? In Christ. Where are we? In Christ. We're not looking for something that's other than Christ. We're not looking for something that is that Christ Himself is not the actual substance of it. Why? Because we are in Christ. That's where we are. In Christ. And, isn't, and this is exactly what Paul says in Colossians, the third chapter, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Colossians, when he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, now, that's not a question. That's a statement which could be translated, since then you are risen with Christ. And what is he referring to there? That's in the third chapter of Colossians. He's referring to both the second chapter of his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesus, uh, Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through verse 7. Where in the first few verses there, first few sentences, he says, You were enemies of God, you were dead in your sins, but God, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Now notice there, and don't don't misunderstand me, but notice there, he didn't say, God who is great in his love, uh, just forgive us of all of our sins. Well, well I, I know that, hon. I know that. But I also know that the word forgiveness, and it, and it refers to the same thing in Hebrew. In Greek, it actually says it means the removal of the cause. So it's a little more than just saying, uh, I'm sorry, and the Lord's saying, that's okay. Forgiveness is a little more than just an exchange of of 
you know, of something like that. Uh, it's seeing that I'm dead. It's the removal of the cause. It's the removal of the cause. I am dead. Someone said, told me one time, I don't know, way back 30 years ago in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, come up after a Bible conference. They were really upset. And they said, well, Brother Lumen, I don't appreciate what you said about forgiveness. So see, I didn't just start saying this yesterday. I said, what is it you don't, what is it that, that bothers you? Well, I, I, just, I just believe the Lord forgives. The Lord forgives. And I said, well, I do too. But I said, that was an act of the love of God demonstrated and fully made manifest on the cross. Well, yes, yes. It, I said, now, do you understand what happened at the cross? Well, that's where Jesus died, died for our sins. I said, no, ma'am. Excuse me, it was a lady, though. I said, no, ma'am. That's where Jesus died as me. And, dear sister, as you also. I said, I don't know where you got the other, but I can quote you where I got what I just said. There's the love of God that Christ himself would take away the cause. And we're going to be talking about this tomorrow, so I'm not just roaming around. We're going to be talking about this because we've got to bring everything that is life, we have to bring it to the cross. So why not just bring life himself there and see what really took place at the cross? Because life himself did it. Life himself overcame death himself. Blessed be the Lamb of God. True forgiveness. See, the point is, Christ suffered becoming the perfect sacrifice for sin. How did he do that? Because he gathered you and I into his very person. I mean, he didn't line us up against the wall and shoot us rather than forgive us. No, no. No, he, he did the dying. But when he died, I died too. In that one died for all. All became dead. See? He gathered. It's the only way it could have happened. It's the only way it could have happened. Because he died for every man that had ever been born and everyone that was ever going to be born. And he took the whole thing into the body of his flesh. Into the body of his flesh. He gathered, in, he gathered every soul into his soul. And then he laid down his soul. Remember when he told the father, Father, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Deliver me from this hour. 
but for this cause came I to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Now there's the cross, hon. Not where you and I are the center of the story. Where Christ is the center of the story. And that's forgiveness. Absolutely forgiveness of sins. Absolutely. But there's more to it than most understand. And so there is a passing from death unto life. But it's not just passing from death and now one day you'll have eternal life. See, hon, that would be like, that would, that would be like telling Egypt or, you know, Israel, all right, now you're out of Israel, uh, you're out of Egypt, rather. So go ahead. It would be like God saying, so go roam around and, and, you know, one day you'll find you a country or I'll give you one or something like that. See, no, no. God saw them coming out by going in. He took the same Passover by which they came out and made it the reality, the feast of, of God made it the very thing of going in. It, the door that brought them out was the door that brought them in. And Jesus here says, I am the door. So it's not about getting out, it's about coming in. When you come in, you automatically get out of something. But that's not the important thing. Because, I mean, now that's gone. You're not there anymore. Now you're here. And that's the reality that we have in Christ that our natural mind simply, you know, just can't get a hold of. We can get a hold of being in this room with our natural mind. We really can. But, darling, our being in Christ, out from the realm of death into the realm of life right now, is much more real than our being in this room. Much more real. Uh, because if it was real after the, after the work, what is actually real, truly real, that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and, and, and on down through there, that say, when he says, see, we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporal and passing. Well, unreal. But that which you cannot see, but that that we see in the see, that is eternal. That is eternal. And that is so true. That is so true. So this is the reality here. And and when I saw this, I had been doing that search over again, the reality of being in Christ. And I mean we've got We've got, we, we've got study manuals that are, I don't know, old, years old, about being in Christ. Well, sure, it's, it's, 
but because it's a truth, not just a teaching, the Lord continues. It, he just brings you right back there. And then He'll lead you there, and then He'll just bring you right back there. And He'll lead you, and He'll bring you right back to that reality again and again and again. And, and you know what it does? It reaches, as it were, and brings something else into it. And in every case, I'll look there, and, I, and I'll, just, I'll just sit there and, I don't know, uh, I just sit there and weep and, you know, and uh, I, do that, I do that very often and because it just breaks things. And, uh, and I think right here in verse 24, and I think, Lord, I've never seen that. But it's not seeing that as a thing. Lord, I have never seen you like that. Have I? Do I not yet truly know you as life? Now, don't misunderstand. I know he's in me. I know he's our lives. But I'm talking about a knowing that Paul says, I'm not yet perfect. I have not yet apprehended, laid hold upon. And the word there is comprehend. That for which I am comprehended or apprehended of God. I have not. There's that that I do not understand. Because he starts that whole speech off by saying, Oh, that I may know him. And it's the whole thing he prays for the church. Sweetheart, everything. Let me read something to you. Because it's getting right there for me to let you guys go. It has to do with this business of Zion. In Hebrews, Hebrews 12. Let me, and I'd planned on doing this because I, I just wanted to get us some things set down and then I really want to look at this life. Because that's the ultimate thing that we have in Christ and it never really impregnated even my brain, let alone begin to capture my heart and soul. The reality of being in Christ. My word. Pass from death unto life. My goodness. The big story is not pass from death we're dwelling in him and I just want to read something to you I want to look at it more that this this is just something that we've written uh, and uh, out of several things but I want to read it to you real quickly here it's in Hebrews 12 and you'll see in verse 18 you'll see Paul's not but and he'll say in verse 18 uh, of Hebrews 12, 
uh, first he'll, he'll tell us where we have not come. And the whole thing is where we have come in Christ. And I want us to look at that, and, and I'm going to get right into it uh, in our lessons to come. And we're going to look at it in Hebrews. But in Hebrews 12 here, uh, verse 18, in Hebrews 12, For ye are not, you are not come. Ye are not come. And he describes Sinai, where the old covenant was given, where the law was given, where the pattern for the tabernacle was given, where the pattern for the priesthood and the pattern for all of the sacrifices, and on and on and on, was given. All right? Ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. You have not. You are not come. And the sound of a trumpet, you are not come to the sound of a trumpet. And the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched that mountain, that beast shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart, with a sword, with a spear. And so terrible was the sight. Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But, not but, not I but Christ, not flesh but spirit, not but you are come unto Mount Zion. And I'm not going to read the rest of that. You are come unto Mount Zion. And then he begins to, to, to relate all that Zion relates to, all that is found in the reality of Zion. All that's found in the reality of Zion. Let me read just this, and I'll read it just like I wrote it here. I, and I, I want you to note the tense because it's very important to get the tense in this verse right. We are come to Mount Zion. Not we're coming. Not we're going. Not we, not we shall arrive at some later time. No. We are. We are come. Now I know that many of us have, have, have sung before the song Marching Upwards Unto Zion. Fine. I know what we mean by that. I know what I used to mean by that. But, hon, we're not marching toward 
Zion or we're not marching upward to Zion. The fact of the matter is in Christ, ye are come to Mount Zion, present tense. We are supposed to be at Zion now. There is here, of course, a contrast between Sinai and Zion. But it's not only a contrast here. Just note something. Note that in keeping with what I have just said, it is more than contrast. Zion is not just different from Sinai. Zion is the consummation of everything that God has desired in His Son. Not just a contrast, but everything that Sinai was not. And remember in Hebrews again where Jesus says, none of this, none of this, I, I, I have a, a body hast thou prepared for me. I'm not here to offer this sacrifice and that and, and burnt offerings, none of which, none of which did you desire, none of which pleased you. I have come to do thy will. He taketh away the first. He doesn't offer another sacrifice for it. He takes it away that he might establish the second. And that's basically what we're, what we're seeing here, that, that Zion is not just a contrast. Zion is the thing to which we have come in Christ. And I'm saying this, and then I'm going to let it go because I want to spend some time with it in the morning concerning, concerning Zion. Uh, and I want us to see, I want us to look at where Zion is actually introduced in the Scripture. And you know, I was thinking it was with David. And, and it does have to do with David, and I do want to talk to you about that because that's directly related to Christ. So we, so we look at this when we're here, but you are come to Mount Zion. All right, but honey, what does that really mean to me? Do I have any comprehension of what Zion truly stands for, of the fullness of it, of the truth of it, of the, uh, so Zion. Now, you know, what, so what? You are come to Mount Zion. Then what is it that we have come to? And what is it that our heart should... If ye then be risen with Christ, again, Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, what does Paul say? Set your heart, set the affection... Set your mind, set your heart. You can read it because affection there wraps all that up. Set your affection on things above. Where is that? Where you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. And then the next verse he said, because do not seek to find that in the earth, for you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then he says, and when he is revealed, when he, our, who is our life, when Christ, our life, 
shall appear. The word appear there is revealed. It's revealed. That's, that's the word that it is translated from. Revealed. When the eyes of your understanding are enlightened and you see him, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you shall understand that you are with him in glory. That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. I will receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. Honest the truth. It is the truth. Is there a, com a spirit-given comprehension of that truth really working in our heart and soul? Is being in Christ to me, is being in Christ to me more real, actually more real, more experiential than being in this building and tapping on this table? Has that really has that really enveloped my soul to where I'm as motivated, more motivated by that reality than I am by anything that I can see? You know, that's the questions that Paul is talking about, and particularly here where he says, you're not come to this mountain. That isn't, where the, that isn't where Christ has brought you. That isn't where the Spirit of God has brought you. You are come to Mount Zion. And that's what I want us to look at. It's where I am in my search right now all over again. And because I found stuff that we had said years ago and recorded and then printed and we have it in print now. But you see, honey, that doesn't make any difference. It's printed right here in this Bible, too. And it was spoken to be printed in this Bible here, you know, 2,000 years ago. That's not the point. The point is, is what Zion stands for. Is that a reality of Christ in my heart right now? Does it mean something to me? Now, you are now come. We are now come to Mount Zion. We are there. It's like saying we are quickened together, raised together, seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, honey, that's the same thing as saying you are come to Mount Zion. We read that in Ephesians. We read this. Does, what does that mean to my soul? Because it is the salvation of my soul. That's what our salvation is. But it's got to to be more than I believe doctrinally. It's got to be a reality in which my soul rejoices every day and a reality that continues to bring things into itself that right now I don't, you know, it's not something that I, that I comprehend.
And in this little, in this little thing that the Lord is dealing with me about, this, this study, it all comes to life. Life. Eternal, everlasting life. I'm so sorry that for so many precious Christians, genuine Christians, that that is something that keeps getting put farther and farther into the future rather than becoming a present reality in Christ. That's enough tonight. But I'm, I'm just, and I thought about this all week and driving out here because I'm really not here to sit and preach, preach to you guys, but just to sit here and share and let the Spirit of God deal with our hearts and certainly mine in view of His Son. In view of His Son. That that, that view began to overtake every other view that may be in my heart and soul. That I see Him. That I see Him. Thank you so very much. Lord, richly bless you. I can't tell you how good it is to see you. It's been a long time, man. (laughs) 